0: in this podcast we'll be discussing our own personal experiences any views or opinions discussed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the individuals in this episode These opinions are not intended to represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the individuals in this podcast may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity, unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Spiritual Friendship. I'm your host, Michelle, here with your co host, Jamie. We've got a couple of small announcements as usual. So do you want to go ahead and take care of those?
1: Yeah. Hey, guys. So if you want to support us, you can always start with those monthly donations. This will allow us to create engaging content more frequently, and this will get us out there on more platforms for you guys. Also, I just want to um, state that if you want to support us, you don't have to do monthly donations. You can just simply share word of mouth, like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram.
0: We're very active on Instagram. <laughs> be
1: active on Instagram. Liking, rating, and reviewing also is great. And it's just anything you guys can do, we appreciate. Um, secondly, send us that voice message. We've only gotten one, but that's okay. One is better than none. This will allow us to hear what you have to say, and we may feature you on a future episode. So send those in, guys, because we would love to hear what you have to say. Yes lastly make sure to leave a review on apple Podcasts so our podcast will show up more when people search for us i would love it if we could get in the like top 100 podcasts That's, that'd be
0: awesome my god I feel
1: like that should be like a goal of ours <laughs> but yeah so rate us review us comment Anything that you guys are willing to do, even just leaving five stars, you don't have to leave a comment, just leave five stars or subscribe, it, it all helps in the end, so. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yay!
1: So, Michelle, what are we talking about this week?
0: Alright, guys, so, in, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, as you know, we are in support, or if you don't know... Um, follow us on Instagram. We're in support of the movement and we wanted to kind of get some more information out there. And I found a story that actually is not very famous and I feel should be famous considering what has happened. Jamie has not heard any of this story yeah. whatsoever. But this is like, um, this has to do with a really famous picture, which I will show you in a minute, Jamie. Or when we get to it, I'll show it to you. It's a a really famous picture, and the story behind this picture is not well known, and it's kind of frustrating that not a lot of people know about this story, and it, it, like, revolves around um, a black kid and his, like, two siblings and stuff like that, and it's a really tragic story. So we're going to start, we're going to start, like, kind of like a mini-series on our podcast, Crime Time, where we're just going to be talking about Crime. (laughs) and like murder mysteries and stuff like that and things that have happened that and we're just going to talk about it we're just going to shoot the shit that's just kind of what's going to happen so we are talking about Dev- Devonet i cannot say this name devonte i'm horrible i'm sorry i already fucking shit up guys i'm so sorry devonte Hart is who we're talking about so, that's who we're going to be talking about today. Have you ever heard of Devonte? I've heard
1: of him, but I don't know the whole story about what, like, happened.
0: Yeah, okay. So, what have you heard of him or about him? Do you know of the picture I'm talking about?
1: Um, no.
0: Okay. What have you heard about him, then?
1: Just that, isn't he, he got killed by a police officer.
0: No. Didn't he? No, but he was involved in a protest with that. That is about the picture, actually. Oh, okay. Really interesting. I guess I'm going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry if I screw up his name. I'm going to try really hard not to because I'm working on that. Names are not a thing for me. <laughs> Sign languages, though. Anyway, so Devonte and his two biological siblings had been adopted out of foster care where they had been placed after they had been taken... Uh, from their mother, who's a black woman in the system, Sherry Davis, Sherry Davis. Um, that was his mom's name. Her children were forcibly removed from her home by Texas authorities due to her struggle with cocaine addiction. Wow. So we're already starting off pretty heavy. <laughs> so according to Texas Department of Family and Protective Services statements, the Hearts first adopted the three black children from Colorado County in the Houston area in 2006. They picked biological siblings, Marcus and Hannah and Abigail. Three years later, they adopted a second set of siblings from a nearby Harris County, also in the Houston area, Devante and Jeremiah and Sierra. Devante and his siblings were placed with their aunt Priscilla, Celestine, I think that's how you say her name, (laughs) But when their caseworker made a surprise visit to the aunt's home and found the Davises alone and unsupervised with their own children, with her own children, they were placed in foster care. Celestine testified that she wasn't home when the caseworker visited, and it was her daughter who let the mother in to see the kids. The children were then placed in foster care. Celestine filed a petition in May 2007 to adopt all four children while they were being cared for by the state. The petition was denied in Harris County District Court to the next year. Celestine filed a motion for a new trial and that was denied as well. Davis, who was complying with her court-ordered drug treatment program, also fought to get her children home. But before she could get them back, they were adopted by a couple in Alexandria, Minnesota, the Hearts. So how close is Alexandria to you?
1: Um hold on one second. One. I I, I think I've been there, but Okay, so Alexandria. I just I've That's... never heard of this place. So it's kind of going more towards up north, so Actually, I passed through Alexandria when I come back. Like, when I go traveling with my parents and we come back to Minnesota, we go through Alexandria because it's by, it's like on the way to where my parents live in Dassel. Okay. It's right outside of St. Cloud. So it's about
0: an hour, two hours from me. Okay. No. So, yeah, pretty far interesting okay so like not that far i just i figure everyone in minnesota knows each other right i mean not really michelle okay well i mean you came up here okay and you met somebody from the same fucking town as you (laughs) at seven falls i was like what oh yeah yeah. (laughs) okay so let's get back to the story we took a detour so before i go any further i think it's worth mentioning that in the U.S., foster parents are given monthly payments from the state for taking care of their children. I don't know if you know about that, um, but my yeah. yeah, I've had friends who've been in the foster system and they talk about that. And it's I it, like it works for the parents, but it's kind of fucked up for the children. Yeah, and it, it we'll see what happens here. Jen Hart received one thousand eight hundred ninety-seven dollars in her last in her latest monthly atollment on March 2nd. In total, the state of Texas paid the hearts roughly $277,000 between 2009 and 2018. The money is called adoption subsidies. Subsidies. (laughs) The hearts were the legal parents of their children, but Texas paid them to take care of the kids like they were still in foster care. This is presumably to ensure the kids are properly cared for. This is something that happens in Colorado too. And I think it happens in like all
1: of the US. I would just say, I think it happens everywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so honestly, I've heard some horror stories about this whole situation where parents will just adopt kids to get that money and then not yep. take care of the kids. Yep. It happens all the time. Yeah. And I'll talk about that a little bit later with one of my friends in another episode, but that doesn't need to be talked about right now. <laughs> so Texas state authorities did not know the level of care the kids received in the heart the kid that the kids received since the hearts lived in Minnesota because they were adopted in Texas and then they moved to Minnesota so how did they keep up with that how did the state of Texas know so the two states have a have to coordinate their vetting and adoptive care training programs sometime during the 6 month trial period when De- Devante was relocated to Minnesota the police were call- called to the heart home A six-year-old child in the Hart's care, whose name and gender were redacted in police records, which that's a thing that we're going to see a a lot of. There's a lot of redacted names in police records, told the officers that Jen Hart had beaten the child with a belt during an interview with the police from Alexandria, Minnesota, though both Jen and Sarah Hart projected a unified front of innocence, relying on the persuasiveness of witnesses. relying on the persuasiveness of whiteness. I'm sorry, not witnesses, whiteness. They told the cops the bruises uh, were were a complete mystery to them, but they did recall that the days earlier, the six-year-old child had fallen downstairs. The couple also told police that the children had been constantly going through food issues, including stealing snacks at school and eating out of the garbage cans or off the floor the local police and Douglas school services closed the case. And despite the initial warning sign, clear evidence of danger to the children's welfare, the Harts managed to complete their six-month trial period in Minnesota. So one year later in 2010, their six-year-old daughter, Abigail Hart, complained to her school teacher that she had owies on her stomach and back. With the child's permission, the teacher lifted her shirt and saw that indeed the child had bruises on her front from her sternum to a point above her belly button and on her back from midway down her back to her waistband of her pants. The teacher asked Abigail how she got so many bruises. She replied, Mom hit me. The teacher called the authorities. A police officer and a social worker arrived and interviewed Abigail. They took pictures as evidence of the domestic assault. They also asked Jen and Sarah to come in for separate questioning. In their interview, both moms told the same story. Sarah had spanked Abigail the night before and gotten a little carried away. What led to the spanking? A penny. The moms had found a penny in the little girl's pocket. Like, what the fuck? When she told them where she found it, they didn't believe her. They called the girl a liar. Then one of the moms, Abigail... First reported that Jen was the one who beat her and held her head underwater, although later Sarah claimed credit, bent the child over the bathtub and spanked her, which resulted in the pattern of bruises up and down her body. What the fuck? So Abigail saying Jen was the one who beat her and held her underwater, but then Sarah's like, no, I held her over the bathtub and spanked her, which resulted in the bruises. So that's, like, that's what's going on here. The beating was so severe that Sarah Hart was convicted of domestic violence, but her sentence was suspended in lieu of a more severe punishment. The adoptive parents agreed to submit to an in-home therapy, rounds of counseling, and skill-building activities. I don't know what the fuck skill-building activities are.
1: They should have had anger fucking management. For real. (laughs) Like,
0: A six-year-old child? Right. So I just wanted to point out, like, the two different legal responsibilities. The two white mothers who endanger their adopted children, one of whom gets convicted of assault, versus a black mother who gets caught by a caseworker as she spends time with her biological children during an unsupervised visit. Like... I don't understand. This is, like, definitely, like, a white versus black crime here, which is what I'm seeing here. And as we get into this more, you're going to see how the system just fails and fails and fails and fails again, and I think it's because they're black. The next year, in 2011, elder sister Hannah reported to a school nurse that she wasn't being fed. When authorities questioned Sarah Hart about what her daughter said, she claimed Hannah was playing the food card. What the fuck is that? What's the food card, Jamie? You have a kid. Um. So like,
1: they say they're hungry. So like, when you when we try and not us per se, but when some people try and they like get their kids to go to bed or take a nap, they'll say I'm hungry
0: because they don't want to oh, go to bed. Oh, so, so they don't just... want to do things, so they do the food card. But I hear they yeah. do. Okay. Okay.
1: So like, if you tell your child, "Hey, you clean up," I'm
0: hungry. I want a snack. Oh okay. yeah,
1: that's drink. fucking stupid. The food card. I just give Mason food if he's hungry. I don't care if he's laying in bed or not. (laughs) Sarah,
0: (laughs) that's hilarious. Sarah added that the child should just be given water. The official 2013 report from the Oregon Department of Human Services, documenting the history of abuse and neglect of the heart children, recounts how a Minnesota child welfare worker said, "Quote." After a while, the school stopped calling the parents about the children taking food because they didn't want the children being disciplined or punished, end quote. What the hell? I wouldn't call either. I would just feed the fucking kids if they're hungry. They didn't want the children disciplined or punished. Like, that's the point of social work. That's why you're supposed to do your job.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if if nothing's being done though, and like no one's taking action, and the kids are just continuously getting beat, like I suppose, you- yeah, I would
0: probably yeah. just give them some pudding and say go back to class. <laughs> yeah. From the same official report, quote the Minnesota child welfare worker said the problem is these women look normal. End quote. So yeah, that's like the biggest issue is they're white. Yep, basically. They don't look like drug addicts. They don't look like... What does a drug addict look like? Is it just be black?
1: Like, is that it? Well, no. I mean, there's white people that look like drug addicts. (sighs) I
0: don't know. Maybe I just don't know what a drug addict looks like.
1: It's, like, a lot of the time, blacks are are, um, uh, targeted because... That's why we have
0: this movement going
1: on. But it's everybody. Yeah. Basically, it's because they're white and they're women and nobody assumes that you know, yada yada. This is
0: frustrating. Yeah. But the report went on to compile a narrative of all the calls to social services made during the Hearts time in Minnesota. There is six incidents l- listed, but only two were determined to be founded according to Minnesota's Minnesota standards. Well I got an accent there. <laughs> And as the report notes, the state of Texas deserves a large share of the blame. Without any regular or constant academic or medical oversight and and unknown child welfare reviews through state of Texas for either foster or adopt subsidies, these children risk falling through the cracks. Which happens far too often. I think that is what happened with these children. This quote from an assessment made by the Minnesota Social Services Worker Quote, Abigail, who was six years old, looked like she was two years old and was taken to the doctor who said she is just small and being adopted, we don't know what their bio family history is. End quote. It also cites how whenever Jen and Sarah Hart were confronted about their malnourished children, the couple always made reference to the children being adopted and being high-risk kids who have food issues
1: that doctor should not be
0: a doctor i'm just saying like i've seen this actually in i think one or two other foster cases where the children actually ended up dying because of quote food issues like i don't understand these food issues and i don't understand if the children are eating out of the garbage and off the floor and stuff like that wouldn't that be something that's happening like in the classroom or at school too I I don't know. I feel like it would. I feel like it would be like more of an issue and not just like, oh, this is just something that's happening at home. What?
1: I'm baffled that the doctor said she's just small. Like a six year old, they have charts. They should know if she's in the percentile for her age and for her height.
0: Right, right. So Jen and Sarah Hart weren't obvious monsters, but after Sarah was convicted on domestic assault charge, that fiction would become hard to maintain in Minnesota. And so they relocated to Oregon and began to homeschool their children, hoping to be free from prying eyes that might report the children's ongoing abuse. And in a state where homeschooling wasn't a weird choice, the couple could once again bend in, lay low, blend in and lay low and look normal. Oregon doesn't have many black people. And that's kind of a problem. This is by design. Oregon was created to be a white state, which also means it probably wasn't the best place for two white women to abscond with their broad of six adopted black children if they wanted to avoid attention. It only took three months before Jen, and Sarah Hart attracted the interest of authorities. A friend of the couple noticed how malnourished the Hart's adopted black children looked. She felt the situation was dire enough that she needed to call child protective services. There was uh, another woman who knew Jen Hart from back in North Dakota when Jen and her brother were in high school together who was all, who she also contacted the authorities. I think her name was also redacted. Worried about the Hart's adopted kids, Um, After the Hearts initially sold their home in Minnesota and relocated to Oregon, the same friend invited the whole family to stay with them one night on June 28, 2013. The woman, whose name is redacted in reports, had a pizza party for the kids. According to the Oregon CPS report, here's what she told them happened the night and the next day. Jen gave each child a slice of pizza and some water. During the night, someone raided the refrigerator, and when the caller woke up, she simply made a complaint to her husband and said, Steve, did you eat the pizza? At this point, Jen grabbed Sierra out of a deep sleep by the arm and said, I can't believe them, and took her to the bathroom. When they came back, Jen had all six kids lay on an inflated mattress with sleeping masks on their face and their arms by their sides for five hours. Like that's an intense punishment. After the reports of child endangerment were filed, the Oregon Child Welfare workers sprang into action. When a CPS worker and a police attempt to surprise visit the Hart's family home uh, a surprise visit to the Hart's family home, they found two vehicles with Minnesota license plates in the driveway but no movement was observed inside the home, and no one answered the door after several knocks. They'd shown up for their surprise visit at 10.30 a.m. The CPS worker left with a card and a written request that the Harts contact the office. Two hours later, a police officer drove past the home. He observed the suburban van was now gone. He called the CPS worker and asked if they'd heard from the Harts, and they had not. Three days later, Sarah Hart phoned and left a message indicating she found the card. When the CPS worker phoned her back, Sarah answered and said, well, they must have just missed each other the other day. She explained the family had gone out to the coast to pick some berries. Like, I don't know who does that. (laughs) Like, okay. A month later, on August thirteenth, two thousand thirteen, Sarah Hart left a message with CPS that the family was back in town and wanted to set up a meeting with C- the CPS worker. This time, when the CPS workers arrived on August twenty-six, they found the Hart family ready to receive them. From the ref- this is from the official like report of that visit, and this is like what they had stated. what they had stated. As we entered the home, all six children were observed sitting at the kitchen table coloring. Ms. J. Hart introduced us to each of the, ch- each of the children. We explained that we would like to meet with each person individually. Ms. S. and Miss J. Hart seemed hesitant to do this. And I explained that this was a typical process and that due to lar- the large family, this would help expedite our meeting. <coughs> the couple agreed to allow and one of the officers began to interview the children but wanted to m- meet with both of them together. While I interviewed Miss J. Hart and Ms. S. Hart, CPS worker blank interviewed each of the children intervi- individually. So the CPS workers compiled assessments of each child based on interviews and observations. And this is what they had said about Devonte Hart. Devontae is a 10-year-old child and appeared to be the most outgoing and talkative child in the home. Devontae presented as very social and was the first child to introduce himself. He was also the first child to volunteer to be interviewed first. Devontae was observed to be dressed clean, well-fitted clothes, and a fedora hat. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) He was known to be quite small in size. However, he was evaluated medically by doctor, redacted name, who reported she did not have any medical concerns regarding stature despite being not on the growth chart. I feel like that's okay. a problem. Is that not a problem? If you're not on the
1: growth chart, yeah. Like, What is wrong with these doctors? I don't
0: know. Miss J. Hart reports Devante is very active in the music festival community and is famous across the nation for his free hugs. Which, I mean, we're getting into his story, and this is the first time we've ever heard of this. Interesting. Yeah. The couple reported that they adopted Devante when he was six years old, at which time he only knew how to say shit and fuck. Wow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Like, okay. Prior to being adopted, Devante was reported to have suffered abuse in his biological parents' home, where he was exposed to violence, drugs, and and had a gun held to his head. At that time, oh the God. couple... At that time, the couple reported he didn't even know where his fingers and toes were. Additionally, he was reported to be very violent and would bite and kick. Ah. Uh, That's really sad. Although I don't sad. know if
1: it's true. It could be. I'll, I mean, if, if a child has gone through multiple families or his bio family was abusive like you just never know
0: i feel like it could be but i also feel like on the other hand if i was these this horrible family i would want to make him or at least all of them look horrible than they more worse than they actually are to be like look at how they are now though right look at the child don't look at me right yeah in summation of their assessment of Devante, the cps workers noted he has reported ...by the parents to be thriving in the home, school, and very interested in social justice issues and love. He is reported and observed to be very affectionate. Probably because he don't get none of that at home. I'm just saying. Right. There's no record in the CPS report of what Devonte said in his interview. Instead, his abusers get to describe his world. To sweeten the picture, there's the convenient detail of how Devante was famous on the music festival circuit... I just can't imagine, like, what, <laughs> like I've never heard any of that, but it's it's really kind of sad. It is. I it agree. is really kind of sad. Like they they didn't even let him talk. Um, we do, however, learn a little bit of what the other Heart children said when they were interviewed, and it's summarized in the report as all six children were interviewed and did not make disclosures of abuse or f- food being withheld. The children provided nearly identical answers to all questions asked, probably because they were coached. All of the children except Devante appeared very reserved and showed little emotion or animation. Wow. It's hard not to wonder how the CPS workers wouldn't find such robotic behavior to be a red flag of abuse, but they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, the thing with social workers is they're so, like,
1: not paid what they should be and they're they have so many cases that they just I feel like they just get lazy and they don't they just don't care
0: yeah my mom is a social worker and she says like their caseload is fucking ridiculous
1: it is and it's hard to find a good social worker that actually cares
0: yeah so when I was talking to you about that um situation with the money and everything that my mom looked into that case and she said yeah one of my social workers was on that and she's lazy and she just yep. let the case go. Yep. Yeah, it's fucking pathetic. <clears throat> it's particularly dam- damning when you consider what the anonymous caller reported to CPS, which is included in the report as well. Miss Blank said that the children would eat freely if Miss J Hart was not around, but as soon as she came in, they would stop and deny they ate. She added that the children are not allowed to speak and could only raise their hands in their home they were disciplined for laughing at the dinner table can you imagine that no laughing at the dinner table you're disciplined that's terrible
1: what are you supposed to do at the dinner table just sit
0: in silence i guess so she noted hannah and marcus are particularly disciplined she recounted a time that marcus did something at school and got in trouble she stated this occurred on his birthday and as punishment no one could tell him happy birthday my god. This is included in the police report. They did nothing. Yet the descriptions so, of Jen oh. and Sarah Hart were sympathetic, if occasionally contradictory, regarding the unemployed music festival attending Jen. Miss J Hart is the primary caretaker for all six children. Miss J Hart reports a background in education. Although the children came to them with reported diagnosis and on medications, Miss J. Hart does not believe in all this information was accurate and has seen great strides in the children. The children are not on medication, and she does not believe they need it. Miss J. Hart believes in emphasizing and teaching love and compassion. She also believes in getting them involved in their communities, especially yeah. the music festival community, and says the children have also participated in protests. What the fuck? Yeah. And Sarah is a manager at a local Kohl's. Miss S. Hart is the primary financial provider and the only adult working in the home. There's not much information regarding Miss S. Hart's parenting of the children. She provides much of the same information regarding parenting beliefs as Miss J. Hart and their desire to raise the children in an alternative manner. She's not often around the children for weeks or months at a time while miss j hart and the children are traveling to festivals interesting the cps workers in the very next paragraph include eyewitness reports that paint a very different picture miss s hart goes along with whatever miss j hart says but added that miss s hart is cold to the children She indicated that Ms. S. Hart also likes to parade the children around the state and stage them for photographs, but does not provide attention or affection beyond this. Okay. So, that's how you destroy your child, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. One last detail from the CPS report that goes, "...only mentioned once provides some insight into the married couple's relationship." Of the two women whose names are redacted throughout the report, one of the women recounts her personal history with Jen Hart. Miss, so this is what it says in in the in the report. Miss J Hart had become obsessed with her, and at one point had told her she wanted to leave Miss S Hart and be with her. So this is like one of their neighbors or something. She noted Miss J Hart always makes up extravagant stories to make herself appear a hero. She indicated Miss J Hart appears delusional but did not know of any mental health issues. Okay. (laughs) Like, what is happening in this relationship? (laughs) A month after the home visit, the CPS worker contacted one of the initial reporters and asked about her knowledge of the family situation. Meanwhile, CPS workers and Sarah Hart messaged back and forth in order to get the kids evaluated by their primary care doctor. After three months, they finally did. Other than confirming some of the kids needing glasses, their overall health wasn't considered to be at risk. I don't understand these doctors. I don't either. I seriously don't understand. And two months after that, on the day after Christmas, a CPS worker contacted the Heart's I told them the agency's final disposition about their children endangerment crisis. Unable to determine, which means there are some indications of child abuse or neglect, but there's insignificant data to conclude that there is a reasonable cause to believe that child abuse or neglect occurred. What the fuck? And this is a recent case. This is relatively recent. How the fuck? Like...
1: This is why... This is why I hate social services and CPS, because they literally do not give a fuck. They
0: don't. Like, I don't know. I'm just... This is so frustrating. This is so incredibly frustrating. Just, like, and just, like, wait until you figure out what happens at the end of this, because this is heartbreaking what happens.
1: I'm, like, terrified. I'm, like... (laughs) I'm gonna get so pissed. But, I I mean, do
0: you see, like, CPS is involved, the police are involved, they could have yeah. stopped this. The children are crying out for help. They could have stopped this.
1: Yeah, but people don't fucking care. They only care about their, their goddamn selves. And their money.
0: Yeah. All of this has to go around money. Fucking pathetic. Just like that, Jen and Sarah Hart had gaslighted the system again. The two women have exacerbated and clear pa- a clear pattern of abuse and neglect. Eyewitnesses familiar with the family said as much. One mother had been convinced convicted of assault, but none of that mattered. The state of Oregon sided with Jen and Sarah Hart. Fucking ridiculous. The six undersized black kids being denied their prescribed medications, not to mention food, love, and attention, as they bounced around the country attending music festivals as props for Facebook photos, were determined to be safe. The last line of the Oregon CPS report pretty much says it all. The children are completely dependent on their caregivers and do not have regular contact with any mandatory reporters as they are homeschooled. So you could probably kill one of those kids and no one would know for months. No. Absolutely not. It's horrendous. I was, it was in Oregon in 2014. So, yeah, this is the picture that I think I was going to tell you about. I want you to Google this picture when I tell you to. Yeah. In 2014, a year after CPS has inter- intervened, that Devontae came to national attention when he hugged Portland Police Sergeant Brent Burnham, I'm sorry if I fucked up that name, at a Ferguson protest. That day was a rare time out of the house for Devonte. how large trucks just drive by that day was a rare time out of the house for Devonte and his siblings the hart family had come into town to protest the wrongful death of michael brown this is the shooting you're talking about on november 25th 2014 when the fateful viral picture was taken by freelance photographer um, johnny Newgan, the 12 year old Devonte hart was holding a sign free hugs during the protest Berman spoke with Devontae and asked for one of his free hugs. In other words, it wasn't Devontae's idea to hug a cop; it was the officer's idea. So look up the the free hugs picture on Google. Okay.
1: Aw, uh,
0: do you see it? It's sad. He's like crying. Yeah. That, he is crying! Though. That's the picture that went viral. And that's him. That's sad.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That poor little boy. He's so sweet. I know. He seems like he'd be the sweetest little kiddo. Yeah. Here's how Jen Hart described the moment in a post on her Facebook page. He trembled, holding a free hug sign, as he bravely stood alone in front of the police barricade. After a while, one of the officers approached him and extended his hand. Their interaction was uncomfortable at first. He asked Devontae why he was crying. His response about his concerns regarding the level of police brutality towards young black kids was met with an unexpected and seemingly authentic to Devante, Yes, Sigh. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The officer then asked if he could have one of his hugs. So then the officer told Oregon live about the picture. He said, I asked him his name. I asked, Do you know what's going on? He said a protest. I asked him if he knew why it was going on. He said yes. I asked him if he thought it was good or bad. He didn't say anything. He kept crying, so I gave him a hug really sad that is really sad his mom was standing behind him and said "Devante just has a really big heart at that point i could tell this kid was special he did he does have a huge heart but i took a step back and walked down the sidewalk about 10 feet to give him a little space Burnham later added how Devonte's raw emotions showed humanity hope and positivity i think deep down that's how every human being wants it to be That's what people want to see. It's a reflection of where we want to go. The photo shows there is humanity left. There is hope. That's what the the cop had said about this. When he was asked about his feelings after he heard the news about Devante's fate, um, Burnham told the Inside Edition, The tragic news about Devante and his family deeply saddens me. The short interaction with Devante reinforced my love, passion, and duty and privilege providing service to my community, which we're going to get into that in a minute. After Devontae famously gave Sergeant Burnham, Burnham a hug, his boundless affection turned into global and viral notoriety. The exact sort of attention, however, the hearts labored to avoid. And so in May 2017, they, fought, they fled the Portland area and relocated to Washington State. But just like I in guess. Portland, it didn't take long for someone to report the Hart family to Child Protective Services. This time, it was their new neighbors, the DeCleb. I do not know if I'm saying that right. Caleb I don't know. The D family. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> In August, You're they'd fine. grown concerned about the children after one of the Hart's elder teen daughters, Hannah, jumped out of a second-story window at 1.30 in the morning and ran to their house. She begged them to hide her, and she told the neighbors her adoptive white mothers were racist, and they whipped her with belts. What the fuck? Wow. Can you imagine that?
1: If, if a kid came up to me and said that, I would take her into my house and I'd call the fucking police. Yeah.
0: But when the mother's arrives at the DeCleves home, the Hearts convinced them that nothing was wrong and took Hannah back to their house. A few months later, after the pattern of abuse continued and after Mrs. DeCleve had told her father about the Hearts kids. He called nine one one. He mentioned the August incident but was dismissed by authorities due to the four month lapse. If it was an emergency, why had the neighbors waited so long to call? The authorities seemed to wonder. <sighs> so yet again, police are not doing what they need to do. I mean he pro- they probably should have called earlier. But it's- Oh, we have this reform. Yeah. I mean, in your state, we have nothing. <laughs> Love you, though. In March, the DeCleps decided to call Washington State Department of Social and Health Services. After Devontae began to regularly sneak out and come over to their place and beg for food, they felt the situation had grown increasingly dire. They were right. Devontae claimed his adoptive mother's regularly denied him food as punishment. While it's physically abused him, as well as physically abused him. So they would deny him food and physically abuse him. Yeah. So you asked me for food, I'm going to beat you now. Right. And that his mothers had told hid him and his siblings from the rest of the world. Ms. DeClebb reported to DSHS, which is their Department of Human Services, that Devontae visited their home asking for food nine times between March 15th and 23rd alone. An investigator drove out to the Hart House the same day, March 23rd. The DeClebs filed a child endangerment report. The CPS investigator reported seeing a vehicle in the driveway. They stopped, knocked on the door as part of their surprise visit, just like in Oregon. No one answered the door. Three days later, the sheriff's deputy stopped by the house again. No one answered. The next morning on March 27th, a CPS investigator stopped by the house. By then, though, it was too late. On March 26th, an unnamed woman phoned 911. She was worried about Sarah Hart. The woman reported she'd received a worrisome text from Sarah at 3 a.m. the previous Saturday. The caller said Sarah had claimed to be sick, but no one has been able to get a hold of her, like talk to her or seen her since that text message, or her wife, which is Jen. The woman also told 911 dispatcher that, quote, she was unable to come out or go to work and thought that she was going to have to go to the doctor, but I checked the hospital, and they don't have a record of her. I think her phone is now dead, End quote. According to the Santa Rosa Police De- Department, on the morning of March 24th, when Sarah's phone was likely still on and working, cell phone towers indicate that the Hart family passed through Newport, Oregon at 8 a.m., their 2003 GMC Yukon, then traveled south towards California. Twelve hours later, a cell phone pinged towers again, this time in Leggett, a small town in Mendocino County in Northern California. I'm sorry if I'm screwing up these names. The next day at 8.05 a.m., Jen Hart was captured on a security camera at a grocery store in Fort Bragg, California. She was purchasing bananas. This is the last time that anyone would see the hearts alive. Jen Hart was drunk when she drove her family into the ocean. Her blood alcohol level was .102, well over the legal limit for drivers in California. So she drove her family into the ocean. The Yukon's GPS data and onboard computer have been able to provide a lot of what happened during the Hart's final moments. On March 25th, they drove down to the California coast at around 9 p.m. somewhere near Westport. Jen pulled the family SUV over alongside the picturesque coastal highway. The vehicle came to a dead stop. After idling for a bet, Jen stomped on the gas pedal, and the SUV accelerated forward for 70 feet. The speedometer was pinged at 90 miles an hour. There were no signs of braking, no skid marks, no indications of any hesitation. The Yukon shot over the cliff's edge. It plummeted 100 feet and crashed against the rocks and water below. Oh my god, Once the Hartz family's bodies were recovered, toxicology reports indicated that Sarah and at least two of the children had significant amounts of chemical in their blood commonly found in Benadryl, which suggests that they may have been drugged. Additionally, no one in the vehicle was wearing a seatbelt. After a passerby spotted the car crash, Jen, Sarah, and four of her six children were pulled from the Pacific. Devante and Hannah's bodies have yet to be found. Many crash investigators and rescue personnel believe they may never be recovered. Most likely the Pacific has claimed them. So, yeah, she drove them into the fucking water. So can we just, like, take a minute to observe that not only a felony was committed, which is murder, but a series of systematic errors on four separate states, Texas, Minnesota, Oregon, and Washington, have led to this. This tragedy was 100% preventable. It could have been prevented if anyone gave a shit about the lives of these six lost black kids. Children who were plucked from their families only to be killed by two white women who had been entrusted and paid to protect them. Devontae Hart and his five siblings lost their lives to the murderous white imagination of Jen Hart. Washington, Oregon, Minnesota, and Texas aided and abetted in their wrongful deaths. The courts and Child Protective Services excused and cleared, ex- excused and cleared the present pattern of abuse and neglect and all but guaranteed their demise. Why would this happen because of their sad, strange deaths defy easy comprehension? They are too weird, too mysterious, too shrouded an enigma for most people to get angry. They shouldn't be. All of us should be furious and demand accountability, just like Michael Brown. Devontae Hart was killed by our racist system. Officer Darren Wilson used a gun. Jen Hart used a 2003 GMC Yukon. This is just like with the George Floyd case and this is why I wanted to cover this because black lives do matter and this is just an example yet again of how the system has not only failed but fucked over six kids at one fucking time. So that's why I wanted to go over this case. Do you have any thoughts on it?
1: It just makes me... I just... I don't know. It just makes me sad.
0: I agree. It is really sad.
1: I have always been angry with the social services and child protective services, not even just in Minnesota, because it happens all over. All the time, kids are killed and abused, and the cops and the social workers just don't give a fuck. They don't. They're worthless. Yeah. Just... Sometimes most police officers are fucking worthless.
0: And that's why I'm glad that... I don't think a reform is going to do... Is going to fix fucking shit. It's not going to.
1: How can you see a child... Like, how can any one person see a child... Who is clearly malnourished and being abused... And just be like, oh...
0: There's nothing wrong. Yeah. They They just don't want to do anything. I mean... Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I read... I read something a little while ago saying that here in Colorado, some police don't even want to do anything because they have to fill out a report. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm lazy. A fucking report is stopping you? (laughs) Jesus, fuck. But I felt that this case was an important one to cover. So she killed her own wife. Yep. Like, why? Why? I
1: don't know. So she's the one that was doing all the abuse,
0: correct? Well, there's, like, there's conflicting statements with that. They say that Jen was going, she was doing all the abuse and Sarah was going along with it. But Sarah would also do shit, too. I feel like Sarah was just, like, scared to leave.
1: And, because especially at the end when she sent that text message to her friend or family... I feel like she was just really scared, and maybe she had gotten to a point where she wanted to get help, and then it was just too late. It could be. That's what I feel happened.
0: It could be. I mean, I believe that um, Jen is the one who had. Jen is the one who had the um, felony, or what? It wasn't a felony, but she had the record yeah abuse, but I do believe that Sarah was the one who had spanked Abigail and had left marks. So I just right. don't feel like Jen was in this alone. And there are moments where you can sit down and talk to your spouse and say, "Hey, so this isn't working." Well, yeah, but I mean,
1: if Jen, if Sarah was being abused physically and emotionally by Sarah, oh wait, oh
0: Sarah, Sarah was being, con- Sarah, Sarah was convicted yeah. of domestic violence. Yeah,
1: but, I mean, yeah, she probably did do things, and she maybe eventually started to regret and get really scared of her fucking crazy-ass wife.
0: Maybe. You know? I mean, I don't know. I feel like we're that never she... gonna know, because
1: They're dead, she yeah.
0: ran her fucking family off a cliff. Yeah, I, that's just my assumption. I will say, like, to this day, though, Devonte is, he is labeled as a missing person. He's not labeled his dad. Do you think he's alive? No, I don't. I think that the Pacific has has claimed him. I really do. falling that far anyway. But what if he was never in the car? He was. Do you know that for sure? I don't think that they know that for sure, but I feel like he would have resurfaced by now. He would have come back. But this just happened. No. No. (laughs) No.
1: Well, two years ago, three years ago? Yeah. I mean, he could be hiding somewhere
0: with Hannah. He could be hiding somewhere with Hannah. That's also a possibility. I, was, I mean... I optimistic, I we guess. We could hold out hope for that, but he is declared a missing person right now. I just think it's really sad how nobody can file for him to be declared properly dead. If you think about it, like,
1: if they were able to pull... All the bodies out of the car besides theirs. Why would only
0: two bodies go out of the car? I think it's because they did not have seatbelts on. None of them had seatbelts on. I know they didn't have seatbelts on, but they could have smashed the windows or something like that and floated away or something. I don't know. Maybe the Sharkies got to them. You never know. I don't know. I'm just holding out hope. But...
1: You could be right. I mean, if they they did get out of the car somehow on impact, the ocean would have completely carried them out. They'd be gone. So. If they sunk to the bottom or something. Well, see, they're
0: they're just shit little people that go missing in the ocean. But maybe they did swim to shore. Maybe they're fed up with the fucking system because it failed them so many fucking times. And they were like, we're gonna live in the goddamn fucking woods. You never know. That's all I'm saying. You never know well that's everything for this episode and i hope that you let guys us... liked it because like there's a lot of research that went into this episode this episode was time <laughs> let us know what you think because michelle did a really good job on the
1: research and i'm curious to hear if you guys think Devonte and hannah are alive or if they are dead because i think that they could be alive maybe they weren't in the car Maybe they like snuck out or something, and they got lucky. Maybe
0: I... you never know. Maybe they just peaced. So... Maybe they was like, "I'm done with your shit." Yeah, I would have. I would uh-huh. have done that a while ago. I, I would have. Done... I really wish the neighbors would have called earlier, though. But yeah, let us know what you think, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Yeah.